Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. Most of you guys will know that um, kids love to, to mimic or to copy their parents, don't they? Um, if anyone here has been around a child for any length of time, you'll probably know a ton of really cute and probably um, equally embarrassing stories where, where kids have copied or, or in some way imitated you know, their parents. Um, uh, as you guys have seen, I, I've been working out quite a lot recently, and uh, um, that was a joke, actually. Um, but I have been working out in my, in my room, and uh, I kind of bought some weights and what have you. And over the last few months, I've seen Cade sitting on my bed watching me work out. And then about three weeks ago, um, I noticed that Debbie's pink weights, now they're not my pink weights, they're Debbie's pink weights, they had, they'd gone missing, and I found them in Caden's room and discovered that two things had happened. One, um, in his Bible reading, he's got an action Bible, he'd been reading the story of Samson and was particularly inspired that, uh, and, and literally prayed that the Lord would give him supernatural strength. But with that came this little training reg- regime that he started. So he was doing push-ups and sit-ups and, and getting Debbie's three-pound weights and doing, doing arm curls and what have you. The cutest thing about it, though, is um, he got a pencil a couple of weeks after that, and he was kind of playing, and it was, a, it was a slightly broken pencil, but he snapped it in half. And for a day or so, he was absolutely convinced that the Lord had answered his prayers <laughs> and given him super, supernatural strength. So that's, that's kind of one of the cute stories. Um, I also had the opportunity to take Liam a few months ago with Caden to a movie um, one, one Monday. The school was out, and I had the day off, and so I took them to a movie. And um, we, we got to the movie theater, and the movie theater was packed. And... Uh, and so we st- we're standing in line, and I'm, I'm getting a little bit impatient, and I look over to the, to the right, and there's an electronic kiosk, which is empty. So I, I grab the kids by the hand, I say, come with me. So we rush off to the electronic kiosk, only to find out that it was broken. And so we had to go back to the end of the line, and we lost like six places. So we're standing in line, and Liam says to me, he says, Mr. Steve, he says, um, are, you, are you impatient? <laughs> so I look at him, I'm like, I'm like, no, no, Liam, I'm not at all. He goes... My mother says that you don't like to wait. So <clears throat> that's another little story of how, <laughs> of how kids love to, to imitate and to mimic the things that, that their parents say or that their parents do. It's not just, it's not just kids who do that, but, but I think even as we grow older, and I'm sure you can testify to this, as we grow older, we start to, good or bad, we start to take on the personality of our parents. Um, there are things that I, I vowed never to do that my father used to do, which I found in my 40s I'm starting to do. And in our family, we've instituted, the girls have actually instituted something called a granny alert. So whenever, whenever Debbie starts behaving like her mom, the girls just go, bah! and she realizes that she's, she's behaving like her mom. And, and, and the, the point of all of these fun stories is simply this, that, that we, we very easily become like the people we spend time with. And, and, and the point I want to share today, the, the kind of the essence of the, the key take-home points that I want you guys to leave with today is, is the more time we spend with God, the more we become like Him. This morning's passage out of Ephesians 5 is a passage about purity. Uh, we started this three weeks ago uh, when we were looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and it's the section where Paul teaches about purity. And when we read this passage, one of the, one of the most challenging verses in Scripture comes to my mind. And it's that verse where God invites us to take on his nature and his character. You know that verse um, which uh, Peter writes in 1 in Peter, he says, Be holy 
just as I am holy. I find that an incredibly challenging verse. I ask myself the question firstly, is it even possible for us to become holy just like God is holy? And I want to say, yes, it is. God would never expect something of us that we aren't able to eventually walk into. And the way that we become holy, the way that we become more and more like God is not in a moment. It's little by little as we, as we align the reality of who we already are in Jesus with our practice. The outworking of our lives starts to take on the nature of who we already are in Christ. The way we become more like God is by spending time with Him. And as we spend time with Him, we begin to imitate Him. And so with that in mind, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And let's read the passage of Scripture together that we're going to be looking at. Verse 1, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through to verse 21. (coughs) Excuse me. Be imitators of God, therefore... As dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among yourselves, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, uh, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light." For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think a passage like this can be somewhat overwhelming when we initially tackle it. I mean, there's some really heavy-hitting phrases that Paul is using in this particular passage. Things like, Paul says that there must not even be a hint of immorality, impurity, or greed. He says obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking are out of place. That the immoral, the impure, or the greedy person have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And that God's wrath will come upon the disobedient. And then he says, have nothing to do with the shameful and fruitless deeds of darkness. The, the, the struggle I have with a passage like this is, is I, if I'm completely honest, I do see some of those characteristics in me. Sometimes I see more than a hint of greed in my own heart or more than a hint of inappropriate behavior or sometimes a coarse joke or an inappropriate thing that I say. Sometimes I am disobedient to the plans and purposes of God. 
And, and, and if you read a passage like this without fully understanding what God is trying to communicate to us, we can start to live in fear that we, uh, are we excluded from the kingdom? You know, at, at what point do we, at one point, and I'm not excusing sin by any means, but at what point do we, do we sin so much that we're excluded from the kingdom of God? These are questions which a passage like this start to, start to bring up. And I think without approaching this text with, with, with the right understanding, I think we can often come at it or respond to a text like this in two different ways. One is, 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 just as, is just as bad and as extreme as the other. The one is we approach it from trying to implement or, or introduce external legalistic practices into our lives. We, we start to control our external behavior, but the problem is we don't deal with the issues of our heart, which are actually causing the reason why we're behaving like that. The, the other response is, is, is just as extreme, but it's the exact opposite. We, we, we become so overwhelmed with these passages that we almost throw up our hands in the air and we say, well, I'm, I'm not really going to care about sin. Sin is forgiven, so sin must be in. You know, we, we, and we become licentious. We, we become apathetic in our response to a passage like this. Whenever the Bible teaches about purity, whenever the Bible teaches about holiness, Whenever the Bible teaches about being like Jesus, the Bible always takes the time to remind us, firstly, who we are in Christ. The Bible reminds us always about, firstly, what God has done in our hearts. Where we are, we're, 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 we're in Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father. And then from that place of what Jesus has done, then the Bible begins to help us understand what is our response and that's what Paul has done here in this particular passage and in this particular book of Ephesians. And I want to take some time, because we've taken a three-week break from this book, is to just remind us of what, it, what has Paul taught us so far, remind us of who we are in Christ so that when we come to a passage like this, we can approach it with the correct understanding. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is a quote by um, 17th century Puritan John Owen. And, and even though this quote is not particularly or specifically written about the book of Ephesians, I think it's, it's, just, it's really powerful. It says this, he says, Our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not the lack of effort, but our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges. And I think that's the issue that so many of us face when we come to, to issues of holiness and purity. Often it's not a lack of effort. Often it's just a lack of understanding of our identity of who we are in God. And so if you have a Bible with, if you, have a Bible with you or a phone, I want you just to flick through the book of Ephesians with me. And, I'm gonna, and behind the screen you'll see just some references to what we've covered so far. But I want to take the time to do this because we need this understanding before we tackle this passage on, on purity. In chapter 1, verse 3 to 14, Paul took some time to help us understand what is the origin of our citizenship. What is the origin of our citizenship? And the origin of our citizenship is the fact that, that, that we are called, rooted, it's rooted in the very plan of God. In, 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 verse one, in chapter 1, verse 4, it says, God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Isn't that a wonderful verse? The, the fact that our citizenship is, is not our idea, it's God's idea from before the beginning of time. 
In verse 15 to 23 of chapter 1, Paul then helps us understand how do we discover more about the citizenship. And the way we do that is is by praying to the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know Jesus better. And, And this drives home such an important point, friends, is that transformation or change can only take place with the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Otherwise, it's just something very external and it'll never last but when we get an image or a picture or a, or a vision or a revelation of, of who Jesus is and knowing him better, the change and transformation takes place deep in our hearts. In verse 1 of chapter 2 through to verse 10 of chapter 2, Paul then goes on to explain how we become citizens of God. And friends, we don't become citizens of God through external effort. We become citizens of God. We are saved by God, by grace, through faith. Don't ever grow weary or tired of hearing that truth. The fact is that we are saved by grace through faith. And sometimes we think that even faith is our contribution to the salvation equation. And I want to say it's not. Both grace and faith are a gift given to us by God. Both, of us, both are, are, are gifts given to us by God by which we are saved. And then this wonderful passage in verse 11 through to verse 22 of chapter 2. Now that we are citizens, Paul helps us understand what does it mean. And, and, and I love verse 22 of chapter 2. It says, it says this, And in Jesus, in him, you are being built together, built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. We must never forget that, that Paul is, is writing this letter to a community about living in community. And, and I, I know I've taught on this, but I want to just reemphasize this. So often in, in, in the culture in which we live, we read books like this or letters like this from a very individualistic perspective. What is God's word to me? What does it mean to me individually? When in fact, God is wanting us to be knitted, not just saved, but knitted into a community. A community is part of the blessing of salvation. Being part of a family of God is is part of the blessing of what it means to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Verse 1 through verse 13 of chapter 3, Paul then helps us understand what is the incredible impact of us being citizens. And the impact is this, is that God, through the church, through his people, now makes known his manifold or multifaceted wisdom to the entire universe. Isn't that a remarkable verse that, that God has, has chosen his people, you and I, to be the ones that display his glory to the universe? God could have done it in so many different ways, but he's chosen humble you and humble me to be the means through which he displays his glory to the universe. I find that absolutely amazing. And then finally, at the end of chapter 3, from verse 14 to verse 21, before Paul gets to our response, He prays that we would have an experience, that the Spirit of God would would cause our hearts to come alive, that we would be able to grasp the magnitude of the love of God. And and, and that word grasp in the the English kind of is a somewhat somewhat a, a simple word, but in the Greek it literally means to wrestle, to wrestle something to the ground. Paul wants our hearts to so come alive by the Holy Spirit that we would be able to wrestle to the ground the truth and the reality and the extent of the love of God. That's what Paul is praying for. And then in verse 1 of chapter 4, we see this very important transition. 
And in the NIV, it reads this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. But in most translations, um, and this is actually truer to the original Greek, it talks about that Paul prays that we would, Paul urges us to live, to, to walk worthy of the calling that we have received. And I, and I want, want to encourage you guys not to see that calling again with our individualistic mindset. We can so easily think to ourselves, well, I must walk worthy of the calling I've received. What is my calling? What is my destiny? That's not what Paul is driving home here. Paul is saying in the light of the fact that you and I are saved into the people of God, in the light of the fact that God has chosen for his people to display the glory, his glory to the universe, in the light of that calling, Walk worthy of that calling. Friends, it's not just that we would be a good people. It's not just that we would be a Christ-like people. It's, it, the very glory of God is at stake. And so when Paul, as we're going to see in a few moments, when Paul speaks about unity and Paul speaks about purity, he's speaking about it in the context of, of, of us being knitted into the family of God. Those are the two things that Paul begins to tackle. In verse 1 through to verse 16, Paul firstly speaks about the importance of unity. And if you look at at chapter 4, verse 15, Paul encourages us for for us together to, to grow up into Jesus. He wants us to be a unified people so that we can be a mature people. Friends, Christian maturity happens best when it's done in in the unity of church family. Christian maturity happens best when it's outworked in the context of family. And we've spoken about that to to quite a large degree. But then we get to the text that we're going to be looking at today. It starts actually in chapter 4 verse 17. When Paul starts to speak about purity, about Christ-likeness. How do we live in response to the reality that we are called to be holy, just as God is, is holy? And if you look in, in verse 24 of chapter 4, the, Paul says that we are to, to put off the old self and to put on the new self. And he mentions two ways that we are to embrace Christian purity. Two weeks ago, I mentioned the first one. Look at verse 23 with me if, you, if you've got a Bible. I'll read from verse 22 of chapter 4. You were were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And he has the first way of two ways that Paul mentions that we are to to embrace purity. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Or, or the renewing of your minds. It's by the renewing of our minds that we embrace what it means to, to live in, in holiness and in purity. What that literally means is, is we, we, we saturate our thinking with the reality of how God sees us. I use the example of how Debs and I sometimes interact with one another. A few weeks ago, I said that, that sometimes when I, um, I, I'm very scientific, I'm, I'm a, I've got degrees in mathematics and chemistry, and so I think, I think very logically. Uh, um, I once went on a business trip, and um, I decided to sit down, and I was going to be gone for 16 days, and so I wanted to write a, a love note to Debs. Um, so she'd have something to open for every one of those 16 days. The only problem is I tried to write those love notes in one sitting. And, and so I started off and I wrote day one and I wrote the love notes and it was full of incredible poetry. And, and day two was an incredibly beautiful love note too. And day three wasn't too bad 
But by the time I got to day four, five, all the way through to day 16, which was still in the same hour of writing the first letter, I was running out of adjectives and adverbs and, and things to say. And it was just, I, I love you, babe. You're amazing, you know? And so, so Deb treasures those moments when, I, when I'm filled with, with, with poetry and passion and I, and I say, babe, I love you. And she'll often turn to me and she'll say, tell me again. And I'll say, I love you, babe. And she'll say, tell me again. And, and this will go on for five or 10 minutes or so. And, and, and I mentioned a few weeks ago, that's how God wants to speak to us. That's the essence of renewing our minds. When, when we gather together as a church every Sunday, we're coming to hear God remind us of his love for us. When we get together at, on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday, or Wednesday night for connect group or for prayer, it's that we're gathering, giving God another opportunity to remind us of our position in Christ. Every morning that we open the Bible, we, we're, we're literally saying to God, God, tell me again. Speak to me again and, and, and renew my thinking so that my thinking can, can, can not be of this world, but can be of the things that you think of me. And friends, this, this partnership of, this, this, this renewing our minds is, an, is, a, is a partnership with us and God. I used to be taught that renewing our minds was a, was a very me responsibility. But, but it's not. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, one of my favorite verses, Paul writes, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Whose responsibility is it to rejoice? Ours. That's, that's our part. We rejoice in the Lord always. And then it says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding." will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We rejoice. We fill our minds with the, with the good news of the gospel. We fill our minds with the good thoughts of how God thinks about us. And the response is, is that God's peace begins to guard our hearts. You see the wonderful partnership with us and God? And then the verse goes on to say this. He says, he says finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is just, think about these things. Renew your mind. Think about these things. And then God's response, and the God of peace will be with you. What a wonderful promise. Uh, Romans chapter 6, uh, verse 11, my, my personal favorite verse, a verse, honestly, which transformed my life, says this. It says, it says the death Jesus died, he died to sin. And the life Jesus lives, he lives to God. And then Paul says this in the same way. In the same way that Jesus died to sin, and in the same way that Jesus now lives, lives to God, in the same way, consider yourself, reckon yourself, argue with yourself, remind yourself that you are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's how we renew our minds. That's one of two steps that Paul gives us on how to embrace Christian purity. I hope, I hope you, 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 you capture my, my, my heart is not to, to be soft on sin. My heart is not in any way to be, well, you know, we can live however we want. But I think so often we, we approach purity from an external perspective where we're trying to control our, 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 our appetites and control our, our hands and legs and, and eyes when often I think, not always, but often sin is a result of, of an identity issue. We're not fully understanding who we are in Jesus. And this is the approach that Paul wants us to understand. The second way that we deal with Christian purity, first way is renewing our minds. 
The second way is by imitating God. Just like Caden loves, or I think he does, but he loves to, to spend time with me and, and slowly, little by little, he starts to mimic me. He starts to take on my behavior. He starts to use phrases that I use. And, and, and he's, he's a little mini-me at times. I mean, yesterday he was going to Liam's party and he was quite concerned about the way he dressed. And I started panicking because I sometimes get like that. I'm being very vulnerable in front of everyone. But um, I'm sometimes a little too concerned about how I look and the way I dress. And Kate bought himself a fedora and he's got this little spring coat and he's got his loafers. He even calls them loafers and he's got his little skinny jeans. And I'm like, my goodness, my, my son is becoming a little mini-me. It, it, it's quite remarkable. And in the same way, God wants us to be that way with him. The more we spend time with God, the more we learn about what pleases God, and the more we do what pleases God, the more we mimic who God is. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, he says, be imitators. That word literally means to mimic. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Because I'm loved by the Father, I want to be with the Father. And when I'm with the Father, I want to be like the Father. And when I become like the Father, sin is no longer attractive. That's how we deal with Christian purity. Yes, put the disciplines in place. Yes, have the accountability structures in place. I'm not, not, saying, that's, that, I'm not saying that's a bad idea. But that will never deal with the issue of the heart. Someone, I, I, I've had a few times where I've worked with men who are, who are captured by the snare of pornography and all they want to do is put accountability structures in place and I keep telling them accountability structures can always be broken. We've got to deal, we've got to let God deal with the issue of, of the heart. That's what changes our approach to, to, to issues of sin and, and purity. Now in the NIV, unfortunately, <clears throat> sorry Bex, can you give me some water please? In the NIV, uh, uh, the, the phrase um, to, to walk worthy is, is, is spoken, as I said in verse 1, it says to live worthy. And in this particular text that we've looked at, there are actually three times where Paul uses the phrase in the NIV to live, to live a certain way or in all other translations to walk a certain way. And what Paul is driving home is if we become like God, if we spend time with God, we'll begin to imitate God and we'll begin to walk in a certain way. If you've got a Bible, look at verse 2. The first one is that Paul says that those who, who imitate God will walk in love. Look at verse 2. We'll walk in love. And why will we walk in love? Because God is love. In verse 8 of chapter 5, those who imitate God will walk in light. Why? Because God is light. And then lastly, in verse 15, those who imitate God will, will walk in truth or will walk in wisdom because God is truth. And I want to just take five or ten minutes just to quickly unpack those, those three little phrases. To walk in love, to walk in light, and then to walk in wisdom. And then we're going to be done. Thanks, Bex. So let's have a look at the first one. <clears throat> Verse two. Those who spend time with God... Those who begin to imitate God will, will walk in, in love. Look at verse 2. It says, uh, well, let's read verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I, I, I love the context of, of verse 1 and 2. The context of verse 1 and 2 is the very 
preceding verse, 32 of chapter 4. Look at it. It says, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. When we begin to walk in love, we find ourselves beginning to be kind to others and beginning to be compassionate to others and beginning to forgive one another because Jesus did that same thing to us. As it says in in, in verse 2, our love starts to become very sacrificial. Friends, the love of God is very sacrificial and very practical to us. And so our love to others needs to be very sacrificial and very practical. The moment we, we, we start to understand that Jesus laid his life down for us, then it becomes easier and easier for us to be willing to lay our lives down for one another. The more I feel, the more I receive, the more I I perceive God's love for me, the more it enables me to love others in the same way. One of the most remarkable verses in Scripture is Romans 5.5. God pours out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. If you're having trouble to, to love someone in your family, if you're having trouble to love a friend, can I ask, encourage you to ask God to pour out His love for that person into your heart? Because then what starts to happen is you start to love that person with God's sacrificial love. The moment you, you choose to lay down your life, not take it up. The moment you choose to, to, be, to, be, uh, to be a servant, not to be served. That's the moment we start to release the fragrance of Christ into this world. And even if no one notices, friends, can I say, God notices every time. One of my, one of my most embarrassing um, shortcomings or shortfalls is uh, I hate it when I do a chore around the house and my wife doesn't notice. And, and I, I just, it, so, so like, uh, for example, I'll, I'll, Debs will be out and, and let's say I'm working from home and then during the lunch, during lunch break or whatever, I grab a sandwich and then I decide just to take half an hour to clean the kitchen. And, and then I go back to work and then Debs walks in the house at five o'clock or whatever and and she doesn't say anything about the clean kitchen. And, I, and I lit, this literally happened last week. And I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see how long I can last before I say something. <laughs> and so I'm biting my tongue and I'm like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to be like Christ. I'm going to serve just because God saw God. And I kid you not, by 8 o'clock that night, out of my mouth, I hear these words. I'm like, babe, did you notice I did the kitchen for you? And I'm like, oh. And there goes my inheritance. There goes the blessing that God wants to give me. But I say all that to say, even if, even if no one notices, God notices. We, 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 we offer up this, this fragrant offering to God when we, when we choose sacrifice and, and we choose ser- serving and we choose humility and we choose yieldedness, and we choose not to argue our point, and we choose not to be defensive, and we choose to forgive, and we choose to be compassionate or kind. We start to love in the way that God loved us. Uh, before I jump off this point, I just want to say that for me, uh, walking in love has to be linked into this issue of obedience. Love in the scriptures, love and obedience are so closely linked we, we see often Jesus says things like, you know, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And um, uh, John actually writes in, in 2 John chapter 6, he says, love means following Jesus' commands. And, and, and so I want to just say, part of loving like Jesus loved is obeying the things that God wants us to do. I, I was so um, liberated and challenged recently by this incredible verse. Don't turn there, but I, I want to just read it to you. This incredible verse out of First Peter that um, I actually, 
read this in my devotions a few weeks ago, and I've spent about a week and a half just on this one verse. And it's in 1 Peter chapter 1, and it says, uh, Peter writes, he says, To God's elect, strangers in the world, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. We've been chosen. You and I have been chosen by God for one primary purpose, to live obediently to Jesus. And to that end, we receive the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that an incredible verse? I found that so liberating. God's will for my life is not primarily to lead church in the city. God's will for my life is to obey Jesus. Right now, that means leading church in the city. But there might be a day when God says, Steve, I want you to step down and I want Chris to lead the church or I want Hugh to lead the church. And if I'm secure, not in what I do, but in secure in the fact that I'm simply called to obey Jesus and not be defined by the world around me, to know that when I do what Jesus wants me to do, that's when I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I just had to find a way to work that into my sermon today because that's just so liberated me, that truth. The second, the second issue, first one was those who spend time with God um, uh, begin to imitate him, will walk in love. The second thing is found from verse 3 to verse 14, and it says that those who, who spend time with God and, and begin to imitate him, secondly, will begin to walk in light. And the reason why we begin to walk in light is because we know that we are God's people. Look at verse 3. It says that we are God's holy people, or in some translations it says that we are saints. We are God's set-apart people. We've been chosen for a time such as this. As I said earlier, often when we struggle with sin, and it's not always this case, but I think often it is, it's an identity issue. We're struggling to, to grasp the reality of our identity in God. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says that we are a, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that we may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We, 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 we choose to walk in light not just because we are saints or because we are God's chosen people, but also because we are people of the kingdom. If you have a look at verse 5, this rather challenging verse, it says, for, for of this you can be sure that no immoral or impure or greedy person, such a man or woman is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. I, I don't want to spend much time on this because it will take too much time to explain in full detail, but for me, I don't think that's speaking about losing our salvation. If you look at the original Greek, it's speaking about a present tense. The kingdom of God is not just something that we walk into one day. The kingdom of God is something that we experience in the very here and now. We experience the righteousness and the peace and the joy that comes by the Holy Spirit, which according to Romans is the definition of the kingdom. We experience right now God's government and God's reign in our lives. And when we sin, when we become an idolater, we don't, lose our, we don't lose our salvation, but we lose our present tense experience of God's presence, our present tense experience of the kingdom of God. As I say, friends, God, God will never leave us nor forsake us, but we lose that closeness, that intimacy that happens when we're living without sin and without, without issues in our hearts. And the good news is, is that our sins have been forgiven. 
So all it needs is for us to come back to God and say, God, I, I was foolish. I shouldn't have done what I, what, what I, what I, what I did. Would you forgive me? And that, that relationship is always there, but that intimacy, that, that closeness of his kingdom is wonderfully restored. That's the good news of the gospel. And then lastly, we're going to close now. The, we spend, those who spend time with God and begin to imitate him, verse 15 through 21, begin to walk in wisdom because God is wisdom and God is truth. And if we look at those last few verses, I just want to mention three little characteristics of people who are wise or who walk in wisdom. Be very careful then, verse 15, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Firstly, it says, making the most of every opportunity. I think those who live in wisdom are those who live in the here and now. Those who live in the here and now. I think it's so easy for us, and and we all do this to some degree. We all look to the future and we say, well, one day when, then I will. One day, one day when I have money, then I will serve, the, then I will trust God to be able to travel to the nations. I want to say, why, why do you have to wait for money? And I'm not saying go into debt for it, but if God is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, if God is the God who, who owns the storehouses of heaven, and if he's called you to go to the nations, then why can't we, we trust him that in, even in this time of, of need, he would be able to provide? Sometimes we say, well, one day when I'm married, then I'm going to be able to serve the purposes of God more wholeheartedly. And I want to say, yes, serve the purposes of God wholeheartedly when you're married, but serve the purposes of God wholeheartedly when you're single. Don't wait one day for Prince Charming or Princess Charming or whatever the female equivalent is (laughs) to, to sweep you off your feet. You can serve the purposes of God right now. Don't live. Live in the here and now. One day when my business is established, one day when my children grow up, one day when I have this or when I have that. If we live like that, friends, there'll always be a reason why we can't serve the purposes of God wholeheartedly. We need to live in the here and and now. That's the first thing. The second thing in verse 17, Paul says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And I want to simply say this, that, that living or knowing the Lord's will is, is for me, is, is to walk by the Spirit. If we walk by the Spirit intentionally, I've said this before, if we walk by the Spirit intentionally, we fulfill God's will accidentally. If we make it our goal every day to, to walk closely and listen closely to the Holy Spirit, if we make it our, if we're determined each and every day to, to say, Holy Spirit, would you lead me today? I want to follow your step. I want to keep in step with you. If we do that, let me tell you, by the end of every day, I believe you will have fulfilled God's will accidentally. Don't always, I think so often we live in a generation where we so often want, what is God's will? What is God's word? I need a word from the Lord. God, speak to me. Give me a prophetic word. There's so many of us, including myself, who've got reams and reams of prophetic words. I think what we need to do is just be living by God's word. In addition to those specific things that he said, begin to do what the word of God says. That's how we fulfill God's will. And the, and the last thing, verse 18 through to verse 21, talks about not being drunk on wine, but instead being filled by the Holy Spirit. I, I'm, I'm not going to be teaching a new theology on the baptism in the Spirit by any means, but I, I, my thinking has changed a little bit because... This, uh, 
I used to teach that, that because we, when, we, when we minister, we, 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 we lose the presence of God. We, I mean, that's, that's how I used to teach, like a, like a cup that was drained of its, of its fluid or of its liquid. We, we lose the presence of God, so we need to be continually filled so that the Spirit of God can top us up. But that gives the impression that I have... I start off the day with 100% of the Holy Spirit, and then by the end of the day, I have 50% of the Holy Spirit, and I need a Holy Spirit top-up. Let me tell you, you can't have 50% of the Holy Spirit. Either He's present or He's not. He's a person. And so what I think this verse is, and I'm just suggesting this, what I think this verse is talking about is to what degree are we submitting our lives to the already present Holy Spirit? To what degree are we submitting all of our lives to the presence of God who was already here in his fullness? Are we submitting every area of our lives? Are we choosing to partner with God completely? If God is here and, and God is wanting to heal, let's say, God is, God is, there's a specific anointing here to heal, let's say, are we surrendering all of our lives to the reality of what God wants to do? That's what I think that verse, I just submit that to you, maybe something you can think about, but the result is what happens when we submit our lives to the already present Holy Spirit, we see two wonderful fruits. The first one is worship. We begin to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I was thinking about that this week, and I thought to myself, what kind of a church, now I, I love our church worship, don't get me wrong, but, but imagine, what kind of a worship would we have on a Sunday morning if we didn't gather in order to experience or encounter God, but we gathered because we already had experienced or encountered God before we got here? Do you see the difference? And so we come from the very first strum of the guitar, the very first keys that are played on the keyboard. We've already encountered God in our day, in our week, in our month leading up to today. So that when we come into his presence, immediately the presence of God is released. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't that be awesome? I think that's how God wants us to live. Not encountering him only on a Sunday morning between 10 and 10.35. I think God wants us to encounter him as we catch the train to church. I think God wants us to encounter him as we cleaning our children's diaper on the way to church in the morning. Seriously. I think God wants us to encounter him as we're having a disagreement with our friend or our spouse and we deal with it in a godly way. I think God wants us to encounter him in, in that way. I think God wants us to encounter him as we go to work every morning, as we face difficult projects, so that when we gather to worship him, we're not coming to say, Lord, fill me. We're coming to say, God, I've already experienced you. I want to just worship you. That's what I think God wants. And secondly, it speaks about submitting to one another. I think humility flows really easily when we've encountered God. Humility flows really easily when we encounter God. Tyron Daniel always used to say, one of the marks of the people of God who are, understand God's presence is they are a humble people. And it's because they're in God's presence and they know he is king and we are not. So I just end with these two little practical things. How do we embrace purity and holiness? How do we become more like God? The first way, we renew our minds. I want to encourage you every time you pray, every time you open up the Bible, ask God to tell you again how much he loves you. Every time you gather to pray or come for worship or at a connect group, ask God to tell you how much he loves you. And then the second way we embrace purity and holiness is we spend time with him. 
And as we spend time with them, we begin to imitate the one that we're spending time with. Father, we just thank you so much for how good you are, Lord. Thank you that you are just so, so incredibly patient with us. Thank you, Lord, that at the first sign of our shortcomings or at the first sign of our failure, you don't throw your hands up in frustration and, and say, I'm having nothing to do with you. But thank you, Lord, that your, your word says that you are, you are kind and that you are compassionate and that you are endlessly patient and that you release forgiveness and grace to a thousand generations. Thank you, Lord God, that you promise never to leave us nor forsake us. Father, I pray that for every one of us here this morning, you would help us to be reminded and rooted and secure in our identity in who we are in you, Jesus. I pray that it would not be said of people of this church that we are unsure of our identity in Christ. Let our let our sonship, let, our, let, our, let, let the reality of the fact that we are your children be rooted in our hearts, we pray. And Lord, we, we trust for a work of your spirit in this regard. Just before I hand over to Hugh, perhaps you're here today and you might be visiting the church, maybe you've been coming for a while, but you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I hope that what I've shared with you today, I hope if there's one thing that you take home with you, let it be that this truth, that we never come into relationship with Jesus by the external performance of things that we do. We don't put our trust in our righteous behavior. We put our faith and trust in the, in the action, in the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. If you're here today and you're saying, Steve, I, I want to know God. I, I want to I become a child of God. I want to I become a believer in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as, as, taking, as, as saying a prayer to God, God, I, I thank you that you've sent your son Jesus to die on the cross. And I, I choose this morning to take the faith that I've put in my own works. I choose today to put my faith in you. Would you come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior? If you prayed that prayer this morning, or if you want to ask more, I want to encourage you to come up to one of the team up front who are going to be praying, available to pray. I want to encourage you to come and, and, and ask more about that. Come and share with us that you prayed that prayer. We would love to, to just talk with you and, uh, and celebrate with you the decision that you made to receive Jesus into your heart. Thanks, you. Thank you, Steve. It was, uh, it was an excellent message. I, uh, for those who are in my connect group, I've been saying for the last two or three months that I love Ephesians. I love Ephesians. I'm going to say that to everybody. It's, uh, it's such a great book. It just give us a blueprint of who God is, what he wants to do with the church, who we are to be as individuals, as fathers, husbands. Anyway, anyway, I, I, just, you know, I say all that just to say that it's, uh, I, I thought Steve has done an incredible job of sharing that message because it's a very difficult passage that we go through because there's a very thin line that can, we can get into the religious and legalistic and self-righteous um, position. So, uh, so thank you, Steve. Uh, with that, we, uh, the meeting is adjourned. You know, as for us as a family, as a body, we, we really want to encourage you guys to stay, connect, hang out with everybody. We have coffee, 
T right outside. We have the ministry team. We have people out front. If if during the message there are things that you wanted to for us to stand with you and to pray with you, um, we're not professionals, but you know we're just here. We, we just want to serve. We want to submit and and just pray together with you. Uh, come on forward, and we'd we'll love to uh, to pray with you. Other than that, we have um, our eldership couple, Chris and Nancy, out, out front. If you have any question, they'll be happy to to talk to you um, and share with you. And and one last thing, our ties basket is in the back. Um, we don't pass those out to logistic reason, but if you're visiting and you have a contact info, you want us to get in touch with you, uh, put that in our box. Otherwise, um, have a good Sunday, everybody. Amen.